we're in a series of Thy Kingdom Come, which is why we do the Lord's Prayer before I preach and we sing that song before I preach, of uh, your kingdom being evident and placed in our life. Let me read this verse to you. Jesus replied, he's talking to Nicodemus, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We didn't get to meet last Sunday uh, because of the power of being out, which nothing we could do. Thanks for being patient and flexible. Uh, but we did have a little bit of a breakout service as you saw from the pictures. But I wanna go back about the kingdom of God for just a moment uh, so that just a refresher. That the, kingdom, the kingdom of God is God's rule in us, uh, in, our, in our hearts. Uh, it is a new way of life. I didn't say a better, I said a new. It is far more than the word better. It's a new way of life, it's a new set of principles. It is from heaven, it is from God, this kingdom, and it's heaven's way of doing life, living, relationships, doing business, and even your priorities, which is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to look at Colossians 1.13 for just a moment to show you that, that the kingdom and us go together. And I wanna walk you through this. There, there's some key parts in this verse I want you to see. Uh, the first part is he has rescued us from a domain of darkness. And I wanna focus on the word rescued for just a moment. One of the most difficult things that I, I've, been a, I've been a pastor for 37 years. One of the most difficult things I see in people is they think they don't need the Lord. I just have no need of him the way you do. You, you need him and that's a good thing that you have him, but I don't need him. I want you to see the word rescued here. Listen, we are born in a rebellion. We, it's, it's what happens when we surrender to the Lord, it's a, it's a nature of rebellion that switches to a new nature of obedience. So we're born in a rebellion, we're born into sin. I've, I've said this, my, my kids are in their 30s. Andrew's nearing 40, if you can actually believe that. And uh, I've said this about my children. I did not have to take my kids to a conference on the weekend to teach them how to lie, cheat, and steal. You understand? Uh, you know, you, 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 catch them, you catch them in doing something they're not supposed to. Well, I didn't do that, you know? I mean, we're born into a rebellion. We're born into sin. We're, we're, and, it, and it owns us. It actually owns us. That's why you'll hear the scriptures talk about that it's breaking the bondage of sin. You were wrapped up in it. Uh, we can't help ourselves. We're just born into a rebellion and in a sinful nature that happens. And we all need rescuing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, you'll have to process it. But I, I, I don't deserve anything God gives me. I don't deserve a single thing that he wants to give me. We live in an age of entitlement. I am not entitled to anything that he wants to give me. I need rescuing. You, 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 some people are like, I don't need rescuing. You are the very people who need rescuing. We, we, are, we are a people. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, India right now, India. India has the greatest movement of God going on than anywhere else on the planet. 
there, there are people who are coming to Christ and a lot of them uh, are people who own, who are dealing with technology. And uh, you know, sometimes when you call for tech support, you're liable to get somebody from the Philippines or somebody from India. And a lot of these people are getting incredibly rich and they're coming to Christ and now they're using their wealth to uh, produce churches, especially in Northern India. And uh, they're funding, they're personally funding churches to be planted. Thousands of churches are being planted in India right now. It's, it's just incredible. It would be a good thing for you to, to look at. Drew, uh, Causey, who used to be on staff here, now pastoring in Ohio. Drew, in fact, he may be there in India right now. His brother Josh used to go there quite often. Back to my point, we need rescuing. Uh, we, we're, we're, we, don't have a, we don't have any hope without Christ. So he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Darkness shouldn't attract you anymore. Uh, it's not where you live anymore. I, I'm an outdoorsman, a very avid outdoorsman, and I, I can't wait till turkey season. I know I've got some, I know I got some folk out there that would amen that part of the sermon. And uh, I hunt a lot. I hunt all over the South. I, I hunt all over Kentucky. And there's times I've been on people's farms, and I have felt places of oppression, like something dark went on there. Like, let, let me explain it to you in a more present tense. Uh, it, when I stay in a hotel room, I pray over that hotel room because I don't know what happened the night before. You all with me? So uh, I, I am not a part of the domain of darkness anymore. He has rescued us from that. And then a, a key point here, he has transferred us us, many us, into the kingdom of the son that he loves. So he's, he's switched us, he's moved us from the domain of darkness. We're born into that and he's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And, and I wanna key on the word transferred, but it's us. We move into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God moves into all of us. I want you to see that, that the kingdom of God is, in, is placed in your life and in your heart. I want to look at the person of Nicodemus for just a moment. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 3. Let me read it to you. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He's a prominent man. Uh, he would have been the head of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, he would have been in the Rotary Club. You know, he'd have been in the Lions Club. He had been in every civic thing the community had going on. He just, he just had a place of status and prominence in the community, even with those who were Pharisees, Jewish Pharisees. He said, this man came to him at night. And the reason he comes at night, and you've learned this, just a reminder to you, is uh, he's coming in disguise. And I'm not saying he's got a mask and a hoodie on. I'm just saying he's coming into the 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 cover of darkness because he doesn't want any of his fellow Pharisees to be able to see him or to recognize him. And he says, Rabbi, we, we know that we know some things about you. You know that you have come from God, that you're a teacher. And no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, I want you to see this. Nicodemus never does ask a question. He never gets to his question. But what's the, Jesus answers. 
Jesus knows where he's going with this. I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There are some things that Nicodemus and his people know about the Lord. He's a great teacher and he's doing some unbelievable things. But the question he's really implied asking is, who in the world are you? Who are you? What, what is going on? Are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? You're doing some crazy things. You're doing some signs and some wonders and some miracles. And we know that can't happen. That can't happen unless you belong to God. And so in this John chapter three, verse three, Jesus says three things to him that he needs to be aware of. That one is you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Nicodemus later on goes, he's thinking physically, how in the world can I be born again? How can I physically have another birth from my mother? How can that happen? But the word born again means, means from above. It also means beginning. And we know a, a birth, there's, there's that child and growing up, that birth is a beginning. It's something new. And I want to show you in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the, that picture of coming to the Lord, of how we're made new, how that happens. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. I, I've dealt with this for a long time with folks, and I, I do the little tweaking in their life. They'll come to me and say, hey, Jeff, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better mother. I, I want to be a better sibling. You know, we use the word better, better, better all the time. I don't know about you, but I am inundated on my iPhone with all kinds of things that promise to make me better. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we get into that little conspiracy zone and me and Julie are talking about it and then the ad pops up on our phones, right? And everything is promised to make me better. Folks, I don't want to be better. I want to be new. When you're dealing with Christianity, when you're dealing with Christ, it's about not being better. It's about infomercials help you to be better. Their products promise you to be better. This is about being new in the Lord. And his mercies, they are new every single day of our life. Where, where do we walk? In the oldness of life? Is that what scripture says? It says we walk in what? We walk in the newness of life. Uh, there, there's a new Jeff. I'll get to that story here in a moment. There's a, Jeff, there's a Jeff that used to live that you don't recognize. You would not know that Jeff. If you ever were to have met me in my past, you would, have, you would have never known the Jeff that you know now. It's not that God made anything better. He makes it absolutely new. And when you're dealing with the kingdom, that's the point that we're getting to. I have two births in my life. I have a biological birth, July 13th, 1960. I believe it was on a Wednesday. I, I don't remember it. I looked it up. Decatur, Illinois, St. Mary's Hospital, room 420. Dr. McLaughlin was the one who delivered me. I found in my mom's stuff the other day my little bitty wristband. And I say little bitty, I was almost an 11 pound baby. My mom said I was three months old and I was born, you know. So, uh, the, but I was, I was a big little baby, okay? Or a little big baby or whichever way you want to look at that. But I have a biological birth 
I also have a date of my spiritual birth. Uh, we had a young man in the first service and uh, he was here. First, uh, second time he'd been with us, so the Lord has been with him. He had a kidney transplant. Uh, he and I, we, we, I, I figured out who he was. We worked out together at the Fit for Life in Frankfurt. And uh, I, I went up to him. I said, are you Danny Hodges' boy? Yeah. I said, well, I grew up with your dad in Summersville, uh, outside of Camelsville. It's actually in Greene County. And uh, there's a day that I surrendered my life to Christ. You'll hear about that in a moment. But I, I've got a biological birth date, and I have a spiritual birth date. I have two birth dates in my life, and every Christian does. There, there is a day when he took the old Jeff, the rebellious Jeff, the deceived Jeff, the sinful Jeff, and he made me new. He didn't make me better. He made me new. So I want you to see that. When he says here, when he says here, go back to John 3, 3. When he says here that you cannot see the kingdom of God, first of all, you've got to be born again, which is, is there's a new beginning in him. He says you cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see here means understand. You can't understand it. Uh, you, you can't enter into the kingdom. There, there's no comprehension. You don't have the spiritual insight that's going on. So it indicates that you can't see. Let me explain this for a moment. We're gonna get on a little journey here of a series of steps. And I, I hope that you're able to see these. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, basically tells us an unbeliever, an unspiritual person can't believe spiritual things. For the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit. I've had people so mad at me. Have you? Because you introduced the Lord to them, they're madder and fire at you. Angry. Angry. Threaten me. Get off my porch. Get out of my house. Don't bring me with all that Jesus stuff in your life. Let me go back to a point. All of us need rescue. All of us, without Christ, you don't have a prayer. You don't have a prayer. We just gotta get, that's why wealthy people have a hard time coming to the Lord because they don't need anything. They basically think their money and whatever they have coming in can take care of everything that's going on in their life. They're hard to reach. Even scripture says they're hard to reach. It doesn't say it's impossible to reach them. It says it's difficult to reach them because they have no need of anything in their life. So in this picture, it says, uh, but the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. There's a lot of, there may be people in this room think we're the craziest bunch of people you've ever met in your life. Yeah, that's for you, it's not for me, but that's for you. And he is, he is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. So here we've got this unspiritual person that's not believing spiritual things. And uh, back to Jesus and Nicodemus here, because we're gonna pick up this unspiritual person again in just a second. But uh, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that the kingdom of God is more than signs and wonders and miracles. It's more than that. Listen, Jesus didn't heal everybody, but when he did heal somebody, when he did have a sign and a wonder and a miracle, he did it so that people would pay attention of what his kingdom is like. 
but he's telling Nicodemus, the kingdom of God is more than these signs and wonders and these miracles. It's an inner transformation of our life. It happens in our hearts. And if you want me to make it simple to you, what happens when the kingdom of God and we surrender to it, my heart is no longer thinking about me all the time. My heart has switched from me to him. It's me to him. If you're, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you are a selfish individual and you can't help it. You understand? Because that's just, that's just what an unspiritual person or a rebellious heart does. It's just selfish. So when I surrender to the Lord and the kingdom of God comes into my heart, it's no longer me, it's him. And then hang on, it's no longer I am no longer king. It's the sea and the pace prayer. I surrender my control to you. I trust you. Don't understand it. Can't figure it out, but I trust you. It is the picture. I am no longer king anymore. The world, hang on. The world is no longer king anymore. He is king. Because when you have a kingdom, you got to have a king. And he becomes king of our lives. So let's work this out. Let's take it step by step. And, and maybe this will help you. I hope that it blesses you. And I, I pray that it helps you to figure out some things. We are unspiritual people before we come to Christ. We're in a rebellion, we're in sin, and we can't understand. And we're in need of rescue. We're lost. We're deceived. Hang on. Life, listen, listen. I know you're gonna, I know you're gonna click onto this. Life is heavy. That's why the Lord says, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. See, the enemy is going to have you believe in what the Lord puts on you is heavier than what you're already carrying. That's a lie. What the Lord gives you is lighter than what you're already carrying. Who wouldn't trade that in? Life is heavy. I mean, it's like walking through mud. Walking through mud. It's just tension all the time in every direction. And we're, we, we're in need of rescue. You're telling me, I don't think I'm in need of rescue. Well, you just told me that you're in need of rescue. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But as it is written, what I did not see and ear did not hear and what never entered the human mind. Let's just stop there. So this is the unspiritual person. They can't understand it. They can't see it. They can't hear it. They don't understand. They think I'm just up here wasting, you know, half hour. Is that how long I preach? Sometimes I go a little longer than that, don't I? Is half hour a good thing to say? Okay. Well, Y'all not saying anything. So, uh, you know, the, the, you're not paying any attention. You don't really care. You're just like checking off at homeroom. I'm here. You know, that's going on. And thank the Lord they turned the air on. Hallelujah. That feels good. And um, the, the ear did not hear and what never entered the human mind. You see, I, I can't understand it. I don't hear it. And it's, I don't even, I'm not even thinking about it. That's the unspiritual person. But look at this next line. God prepared this for those who love him. 
Now look at verse 10. Here comes the rescue. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. How, how does it get into an unspiritual person? It's the Spirit of God keeps revealing. Do you remember the recent series we had called Adjustments where God reveals? And when God reveals, you and I are gonna have to make an adjustment in our life. When that happens, uh, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. So how does an unspiritual person all of a sudden start beginning to sense spiritual things? Well, the Spirit begins to reveal it to them. The Spirit gets to, to begin to reveal it in their life, and it's the Father that is drawing you. Look, look at um, Galatians 5, 16 through 20. <clears throat> We're gonna see here uh, how the spirit battles our flesh and how our flesh battles our spirit. We're gonna see non-kingdom things and then we're gonna see kingdom things. So let me walk you through it. Say then, say then, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit. You see the battle? And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. See the battle? They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you really want to do. But if you are led, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law anymore. Uh, now the works of the flesh are this. They are, they, he, he says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, it's a word my dad used all the time, and, and anything similar. And look at that, Paul, Paul gets tired of listing everything. Do you see that? I think that's funny. And he starts, well, just, I've listed all, anything like it. He just goes on, the list is, I'm just closing off the list here. And anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before. Hang on. That those who practice such things, will you say the last two lines? You say it. Yeah, so there's a non-kingdom life right there. There's a battle we're unspiritual people, but then the Holy Spirit gets to revealing things to us, truth to us, sending people our way, crossing our paths, little, little bits of truth that are coming through. And, and this, struggle, this struggle begins to happen. Uh, let, me, let me tell you this. Uh, people will come to me and go, man, so-and-so's really struggling. And I go, really? And uh, what, happens, what happens when the Holy Spirit gets to reveal anything? We'll get to arguing. We'll get to arguing about God. We'll get to arguing about God and uh, back and forth. And I'll smile and they'll go, why are you smiling? Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you're struggling, I have a little bit of a smile on my, on my mouth and my face because it means the Father is beginning to draw you. you, you if, if he wasn't drawing you, you wouldn't be thinking about him. You wouldn't argue about him. You know, you wouldn't do that. 
He's the little, that unspiritual person, the spirit starts revealing who, who the Lord is little by little. And we'll get, we'll get mad. You know why we get mad? I love this about Neil Anderson. Neil, it's helped me so much in ministry. Neil Anderson said, the reason we get mad is we have a goal. We have a goal. And if anybody blocks our goal, we get mad at them. Like if you can't sing a lick and you want to be on the praise team and I block you, do you like me? You're mad at me. Mad. Because you had a goal and I blocked your goal. And we, we get mad when we have goals and people block them. And so what, what happens, you, you get angry. You'll get angry at me or anybody around. I don't need that Jesus stuff. Well, the fact that you're talking about it means the spirit is beginning to reveal things of himself to you. And we just get angry. And we get angry, why? Because we've got a goal. And our goal is to be, commandeer our own life, run our own life. I'll give you that personal testimony in a moment. That's our goal. And when anybody blocks that, including the Holy Spirit, we get mad at it. Because we've got our own set of goals and our own set of ways of life. So we, we, we see that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a non-kingdom life. Let's look at a kingdom life. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there's, there, these things, there's no policy. There's no contract. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's what's happened. I'm no longer king. The world's no longer king. He becomes king of our life. So then what happens? That spirit, that Holy Spirit is revealing things to an unspiritual person and there is that battle between the spirit and the flesh and the flesh and the spirit. And then Romans 10, 9 through 13 gives us a picture of surrender here. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It says you will be saved. For one, one believes in the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scriptures say, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. He will not disappoint. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Go to verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, verse, and go back to verse nine if you will. In verse nine, it says that with our mouth, he is, we say that Jesus is Lord and with our heart, we believe that God has raised him from the dead. Listen, before I came to Christ, my heart did, could care less about the resurrection. I just want you to know every belief system in the world, whatever central figure is to their faith, does not have somebody being raised from the dead. The resurrection is central to our faith. And it says we believe that in our heart. That's, that's where the kingdom is moving in there. When we believe that he's been raised from the dead and the power that raises him from the dead, I say it all the time, is the power that saves us, it's the power that sustains us, it's the power that gets us through. And we still live with resurrection power. And we believe that he has been raised from the dead. Not only did it raise him from the dead, but it raised me from the dead. Remember, I have two births. I have a July 13th, 1960 birth, a biological birth. And then I have a spiritual birth where I crossed over from death unto life. 
I have, two, I have two birth markers in my life. One is biological and physical, and one is spiritual. So how does that take place? Look at Romans 12, 2. There is a renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. And the word conformed there means slowly, meaning this age, but it means world. Little by little, you're becoming like the world and you don't even know it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me explain it to you this way. The word conformed would be a, would be a crock pot, okay? And the word transformed would be a microwave. Little by little, we're conformed to look like the world and we don't even realize it. But look at, we're transformed quickly, boom quickly by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He defeats death. We think about death. Some of you sell insurance to make sure people have money to give their, their family upon their death. He defeated the grave. He defeated the devil. He defeated sin. He brings life, abundant life and eternal life. He deals with things that are more than better. He deals with new. Uh, I was a young man and uh, most of you know I'm a preacher's kid. Some of you are new to our church and my son Andrew's third generation pastor. And I didn't like being a preacher's kid. I love my dad. And I love what my dad and Jesus had going on. I just didn't like being a preacher's kid. I, I lived on the church campus. I lived on the churches, in the church's parsonage. Until Julie and I married, I had never lived in a house that belonged to us. I always lived in somebody else's house. And I, uh, I remember uh, later on when our children got older, I told them when they went to college, you know, because their mom was like, are you coming back to church? You know, because your mom wants to see them, you know. And I'm like, go somewhere else. Don't, don't come back to our church. Because they, they lived with their pastor seven days a week, right? And they, they hear me all the time. And I wanted them to go. I wanted them to go and be in other churches. And, and I, I actually did encourage them to do that, whether you believe I did or not, I did. <clears throat> because I knew what it was like. So... I loved my dad, admired my dad, but I, he was my preacher. So uh, I, uh, we had a guest preacher one Sunday night and uh, there was a family in Summersville called the Durrett family, D-U-R-R-E-T-T. -T. Sarah, you're gonna love this story. <clears throat> and uh, Ansel Durrett is the dad and his family sang Southern Gospel. The whole family did, Mike, Steve, Sharon, that's their, that's their children and their, their daughter, sons and daughter. And uh, they come around on Sunday nights, you know, do the Southern gospel thing and the tenor gets real high and raises his leg, you know. <laughs> and uh, so uh, Ansel had been called to preach. Now, I, nobody knew him as Ansel Durrett. This is the daddy of the Durrett family. Everybody called him Bug. His nickname was Bug. And uh, he had some brothers. And to this day, I don't know what their names are. But his, his brother's nickname was Toad and his other brother's nickname was Dink, okay? Toad Durrett, Dink Durrett, Bug Durrett. Bug, Bug came preached that little church of ours and he preached on hell. <clears throat> I'll never forget it. And I, was I listening a little more intently? I was because it wasn't my dad. I heard my dad all the time. We know how to shut off parents, right? You know how to screen. All of you who are younger and your parents call, you look at it and you turn it over. You know how you screen us? Uh, I wish they'd have had air tags when my kids were younger. 
you know what I'm saying? I'd have, I'd have followed them all over this place. <clears throat> but uh, I, I believed, this is what I believed. I had already settled it in my heart. I believed that I was going to heaven because my dad was a preacher. I lived on the church campus and I lived in the church parsonage. See, that could be logic. You see how that could work as a worldly logic? And I, I, but I believe that. I believe that strongly, that I was going to heaven because of my dad and what he did and where we lived. And on that night, Bug Durrett was preaching on hell and the Holy Spirit started revealing to me that what I was believing in my heart was a lie. He was showing me that that was not true. And you're going, ah, Jeff, you know, I don't listen. He was revealing truth to me to an unspiritual person who thought they had it figured out. And he was revealing to me that, Jeff, the only way you're going to get what I have in store for you in this earth and in the world that is to come, the eternity, is through me. It's not going to be through your daddy. It's not going to be through the church campus. And it's not going to be through the church parsonage. But can you figure out how a young guy had figured out that logic in his head that I'm connected to the gospel through my daddy, through the church campus, and through the church parsonage? And so he, he showed me that night. That night, I said, I surrender. In the pace prayer, I raised up my hands. and I'm releasing control. I'm no longer directing my life. I've got to learn this thing. <clears throat> that went on for a while. I tried to live a faithful life. Julie and I got married. <clears throat> I, was in, I was at UPS. Uh, to let you know, I left corporate America to come into ministry. I'm not doing this because I can't do anything else. I can do a whole lot of other things better than I do this. I'd always wanted to make it in corporate America and I was making it in corporate America. I was doing really well at UPS. And I was in management there. In fact, there was a guy in the first service that used to work for UPS too. And we know some of the same people. And <clears throat> so... UPS became my God. Uh, I was married to Ed and Julie. And Julie will tell you, she didn't know me then. A lot of things were infiltrating my life. And I, I was married to United Parcel Service, married to it. I can see one of their trailers five miles down the road. I mean, I know that business inside and out. So I, I thought UPS is going to give me the house that Julie wants. UPS is going to give me the picket fence and the, the Lexus, you know, the Lexus SUV and everything else is going to give me everything I want. I literally, I'm telling you, I literally had a list of everything that UPS was going to give me. And I was turning into an individual that my dad didn't even recognize, Julie. I, it, our marriage was a mess. We fought all the time. Julie was pregnant with Andrew. She would have begged me to go to church. I've told you that. But I can't tell you how she would stand and beg at that door, our side door out to our carport, and beg me, come to church. I said, no, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to watch HBO. That's the old preacher called it, Hell's Box Office. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, he said, I, I watched HBO wrapped up in an Afghan my mom had made, and Julie went on to church with tears in her eyes. You're looking at a preacher that didn't want to go to church. I didn't want anything to do with it. You know why? Because I was taking back over my life. I was wanting to control and direct and lord my own life. I didn't want the Lord to do it anymore. Was I saved? I was, but I, was, I let the world creep back into me. And, and then little by little, a lot of things happen. 
There was a point of surrender in my life. But I'm telling you, the, the Holy Spirit just kept revealing to me and revealing to me. Personally, when I pray the pace prayer, when I'm by myself, I do the praise, I do the accepting and the receiving, and I relinquish control. But when I do the accepting and receiving, I told Logan that this week, I include, Lord, I receive your calling on my life. So you're, you're going, well, preaching's all you know. Well, that's not true. I actually like corporate America to the point, but it was making me a rough individual. I was miserable because I was, I was leading my life away from God. And, and you know what? He gave me a new chance. His mercies are new. He gave me a new, there, there became another surrender. In fact, you're going, how many times do I have to surrender? Every single day, you have to surrender to the Lord. And I, I, wanna, I want you to know that, that the kingdom of God in your heart is no more self, it's him. I'm no longer king. The world's no longer king. He is king. Can I tell you somebody else that found that out too? His name's Nicodemus. When we read about Nicodemus again, you know where we find him? At the cross of Christ. He and Joseph take the body of Christ we have Nicodemus bringing the, the spices to prepare the body for burial. We see him in John 3, and then we see him again taking the body of Jesus. You think he surrendered? I think he surrendered. I, did, did he get the message of Nicodemus? Unless you were born again, you cannot see or understand the kingdom of God. And I believe Nicodemus became born again. He was there to tend the body of his Savior. So today, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, stop the battle. Stop the battle. Let him speak to the lies and the deception in your life. Let him do that. And then let the Holy Spirit bring you to where you need to be in the point of surrender. If you're here and you have surrendered, may the Lord take you back to where you did. That's a glorious time where the Lord saved you. I pray that you revisit that today and even the commitment and the surrender that you did with him on that day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son. He came to rescue us. And you know more than anybody, we need rescue. Thank you that your spirit speaks to us when we don't even have spiritual things on our mind that you reveal to us. Thank you, Lord, that you not only transform our minds, you transfer us into the kingdom of the son that you love, that you rescue us. Lord, you give us the promise of abundant life here and eternal life there. And then a brand new life, not a better life, but a new life. And we thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we don't deserve anything that you give us. So all of our life is a thank you for all that you've done and all that you've given. We surrender. We trust you. It's in the name of Jesus that we declare you king of kings and king of us. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Counselors, would you find your spot? The team is going to lead us. The invitation is this, whosoever will, for whatever reason today, you come.